He's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. He's blind. If you're at lunch, or if you have no appetite, now is a good time to switch off the radio. It will not be pleasant listening. Welcome to the Lawrence Ross Show. You sound a little taller on radio. A two-hour weekly exploration into the mind of a man who calls it like he sees it, but he can't see his audience. So what if I'm blind? At least I don't have to look at your ugly face. Want to interact with this fool? Call or text the comment line. 813-602-2715. Hope you enjoy the program because no refunds will be issued. Don't write it and we'll do it live! The Lawrence Ross Show. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in tonight. We'd love to hear from you. 813-602-2715. Or you can tweet me, twitter.com, at BlindLawrence. As a tradition. Aaron Rodgers might want to be the continuing host of Jeopardy. I got stuff on the Lindbergh baby and DMX has passed away. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. This is the Lawrence Ross Show for April 9th, 2021. Hope everybody out there had a nice, relaxing Easter. Uh, if you'd like, as I said earlier, you can call 813-602-2715 or you can text. Doesn't matter. Either way, I can always take a look at it and read your comment on the air or you can call in and we can converse. If you'd like, check me out on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash blind Lawrence. Also, Instagram is blind Lawrence. I just updated it today. I posted a picture of a chocolate cake donut. So that was really good. And also YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Lawrence Ross. And check out the merch, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash L Ross 1987. All right, now that I got all the uh, regular stuff taken care of, I'm going to go right into the uh, personal recap. So Friday night after the program, just uh, kick back a little bit, listen to the program for uh, quality uh, control. And I noticed something. I noticed that. There were a couple of instances from last week's show where there were a couple of dead spots. The reason why is because there was a slight recording, uh, there was a slight error with the software that I use to record this program. So that is why that is uh, that was the case. Uh, just to let everybody know, there was not there was nothing uh, offensive that was in the edited out uh, dead spots. I'm just uh, letting you know that. Sometimes this happens, and it's you know it's it's out of out of out of your control sometimes. But other than that, you know, I, I I'd say I'd say the rest of the show went really well. Uh, getting a lot of really good uh, feedback uh, currently. 
Uh, so thank you, everybody. Uh, and uh, Saturday, <laughs> Saturday, folks, I just laid in bed. Like it, it was, it was, it was like Saturday was kind of like my day of rest. I just, I just laid in bed for pretty much like most of the day, and uh, listened to the radio a little bit. And uh, as about it, then Sunday was Easter. Didn't have any peeps. Didn't have any uh, chocolate bunnies or uh, candy or anything like that. Just did uh, regular stuff, uh, laundry and uh, things of that nature. Didn't have any eggs. I have. Um, I, I know how to hard boil eggs. It's just that here, here's the thing that tries me nuts about a. Here's the thing that drives me nuts, okay? Here's the thing I don't get. We have all of these kitchen-accessible technology products for people like me. We got talking microwaves. We got talking thermometers. We got uh, uh, all these different tools, but they don't have... It's 2021, and there is still not an accessible oven stove stove top kind of deal there there's there's no there's no real uh item that's been invented to where it's beneficial to the blind because what if say you go to a pizza place and it's like a papa murphy's papa murphy's is what i call the ikea of pizza it's where you buy the pizza and then you gotta bake it when you take it home like what how how exactly does that like well like what is what is the mindset behind that do they think okay if people want this pizza so badly let's make them work for a little bit let's make the pizza raw give it to them raw and tell them all right you got to cook it for 10 minutes at 425 degrees enjoy your pizza tonight folks now if i want pizza that i can cook up pretty quickly all i gotta do is just either get a frozen pizza from the grocery store or i could easily just go with pizza hut Domino's, little seizures whatever get a big pie and then break it up put it in aluminum foil stick it in the fridge stick it in the freezer and then when it's time to chow down time to chow down man <laughs> but yeah and uh, work has been work, so uh, not all, mel- not all, not much else can really be said about that. Although I might have something in the works where things might change. I don't want to say what it is just yet because that seems to be the common thing. Like if you say what it is, then you've jinxed yourself. But if you don't say it, well, then you might get it. I don't know. But so that is that. So. Uh, who knows? Who knows where? Who knows where things could be a couple months from now? Honestly, don't know. But uh, what I do know is, yep, uh, yep, yep, yep. Here he comes. He's he's getting up off the couch. Here he comes. Hang on, I gotta hang on. I gotta clear this other way. Hold on a minute. Stand by. Oh boy. Ah. Little up there, dude. Little up. There you go. There. Now you got it. <clears throat> dude, you gonna say something? Hello out there, Radio Land. Oh, hey, Stu, you're back from uh, Quahog. Yeah, of course, man. What do you think about a green screen? No, I'm right next to you, and I can see you got a Pepsi right here. Yep. Haven't I told you many times about drinking all that damn soda, man? You, I know, man, I'm gonna get a kidney stone, and I'm gonna pee out a sugar cube one of these days. Yep, that's right. Here's your Christmas present, man. Kidney dialysis. Oh, dude, that, that that's... Dude, that's that's not cool. Uh, so anyway, man, yeah, so uh, uh, 
Yeah. So uh, l- last week, uh, last week you were in Quahog with the family. So what, what was uh, what was Easter like, man? I, I, I saw. I forgive me for laughing, man, but I saw this on your Instagram where there was a picture of you, and you were wearing a pink Easter bonnet. What what what's that all about? Wait, let me just let me just stop you right there. All right, that wasn't my idea. Right, that was Meg who put the little hat on me because she thought it would look really really cute when I was sleeping. And uh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't, man. I'm getting all of these uh, notifications on my Instagram, and they're all kissy faces, they're all from girls and stuff, and I just, I don't get it, man. Yeah, well, I don't know, maybe it was, it was a cute thing that she did. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't think it was all that cute. I thought it was very humiliating. So what did you, so what did you end up uh, doing? Well, I got with Rupert, and then... Uh, and then, uh, then Brian drank a martini, so I had to watch that. Oh, and then the fat man, oh, he overcooked the ham, and Lois was really mad at him for that, so, uh, he had to sleep on the lawn. And then I had to, then I had to hear Quagmire talking about the Easter Bunny. And he has this Easter Bunny getup, but, yeah, look, man, look, I, I, look, and, and truthful, truthfully, man, I, I don't want to know about his Easter Bunny costume getup either, man. It's, it's, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it doesn't sound sanitary. No, it doesn't, man. No, it doesn't. Let me just tell you something, man. It doesn't smell too good either. Ugh. Uh, all right. Look, dude. I mean, look. I mean, look. If, if, look, man. I mean, look. You, you can tell me all about Glenn Quagmire's icky bunny suit later, man. But I, I, I got other stuff I got to, uh, handle. Yes, of course. Of course you do. All right. Thank you, Stewie. Yeah, whatever. Dick. The extra is going so good, then he calls me a dick. Sheesh. Uh, All right. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Comes to the territory. All right. I want to get into this real quick before I get into sports. Because this has just been... This, this is just driving me crazy. And for anybody who has followed me for many, many years, you know that I basically only have... One, one rule about social media, at least with me anyway. I don't mind if you post dirty jokes or anything like that. Hell, I'll join in. You know, we, we, can, we can break bread all day, all night, all that stuff, have a great time. But I still do not understand how people can... Be on a social media platform. Claim they're someone's friend. But not honor said friend's wishes. My only thing with social media. Is that if you're going to post a picture to my timeline. In any capacity. I'd like to repeat that. Because it sounds vaguely important. If you're going to post a picture to my timeline in any capacity, any capacity whatsoever, a description is required. I just said that, man. Yeah, I know, man. So- sorry, it happens. Have he drink so much damn Pepsi? Bastard. Now he's getting combative. Um, okay. Totally sorry about that, folks. Um, but yeah, 
And the thing that really bugs me, really annoys me, is when I have had people who I have hung out with in person who violate this rule. That is just unacceptable. Unacceptable. For someone to have hung out with me, they can see the cane that I have. They should put two and two together. Oh, this guy's blind. I just don't understand why people in society are just ignorant. They're ignorant and treat blind people and other handicapped people like second-class citizens. And I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. Anybody who has hung out with me and they know my rule on social media, they follow that rule. But the people who didn't, who, who evidently you, you didn't see the memo, well, guess what? That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to you people anymore because it's, it's disheartening that, and it even says on my Facebook profile in the little biography section, it clearly says all pictures posted to this timeline require a description. This goes for everyone. So I do not understand this. I guess you could call it entitlement or suspending the disbelief and just thinking, well, since technology has gotten better and better, artificial technology will describe the picture. No, that is not how it works. Not at all. Now you're probably listening. You're probably wondering, well, geez, Lawrence, why are you gonna be? Why are you so? Why are you so passionate about this topic? I mean, it's pictures. It's not like you can see them. Well, it goes back to something that happened in my formative years when I was in high school. I had a ninth grade English teacher, and this teacher. A complete piss poor excuse for a teacher. I'll give you the timeline. So, so starting up the class for the first for the first part of the uh, semester, we uh, we well, well like, like the fir- first couple of weeks of the course, we all read the Miracle Worker, the inspiring story of Helen Keller, uh, her assistant Ann Sullivan. Very inspiring story. We even watched the movie. The Miracle Worker. Great movie, by the way. So we had to do a project based on the information, the source material. So I'm like, all right, should be pretty fun. Then she starts in with pictures. Gotta have pictures. Gotta have pictures. Pictures, pictures, pictures. But this is 2002. 33 now, so yeah. So this is like this is like when I was like 14, 15. Uh, no, this, this, no this, this is when I was 15, right after my 15th birthday. So, 
we so do this project i turn mine in sans the pictures Helen Keller didn't need any fucking pictures. I'm not submitting any pictures about, you know, I'm not, I'm not turning in a project about Helen Keller with pictures on that. No, fuck that shit. So, uh, by the way, the statues, by the way, the statute of limitations are up. So <laughs> I don't mind telling you, I failed the assignment because I didn't include any pictures. Well, all right, fine then. All right, fine. Because I was a bit of an asshole on that one. All right. Fine. All right. Maybe I got what I deserved on that one. Then, couple. Of, then in November, had to do a poetry book, which is fine. You know, I don't mind poems. Poems are fun. Music is poetry when you think about it. Even that thrash metal stuff, the pulse pounding thrash metal stuff, where the guy goes, "Ooh, kill, kill, kill." Yeah, that's poetry. <laughs> so. We're doing this poetry book. She wants the same things she wanted in the last project. The last project was, now get this, it's 2002, the beginning of the 21st century. I know Google Images wasn't uh, wasn't what it is today, but I think it was still in its infancy stage, or I, I'm not sure they even had proper images on there, or, well, I, 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 I truthfully don't know when Google Images started, but what I can tell you is, so... This project, both these projects, they had to include pictures from either a magazine or you had to hand draw them. They couldn't be from the internet. So right off the bat, I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with, wrong with this instructor? Because here we are supposed to be embracing the new millennium and she wants us to pretty much go back to the fucking Stone Age. So I talk it with my folks because... Uh, uh, I, I was actually doing very well in that class, and and that and and uh, that'll come up in a minute. So, I talked to uh, I talked to the family, and uh, and uh, and we all agreed on something that would seem like a reasonable accommodation, rather than just putting a picture, rather than having to draw something. The idea was at the end of the poem, I would put down in the I'd put a little I put a little footnote of text or a little thing of. Uh, a little thing that says illustration here's where i would draw this this and this that sort of thing so i go to the uh instructor and by the way this is in front of the entire class mind you so we get done doing the daily or daily oral language exercise whatever the hell it was for that day and we're getting you know and we're getting ready to jump into what we got to do for the day learn about new poetry uh style then write it you know, write a poem based on it and all that stuff so uh so i just you know i i, I very you know you know i i uh very casually raised my hand to say uh excuse me miss lee i'd like to uh uh, uh like talk to you a little about this uh project is it okay if instead of putting in an actual picture i just put down a description of what i you know of what i would put her exact words and i'll never forget I'll never forget these words until either the day I die or I've completely lost my mind. Her exact words, quote, no, get your mommy to help you, unquote. This is a high school English teacher we're talking about who has said this in front of the entire class. So... I'm pretty sure that my fellow students 
were probably giving her the thousand-yard stare at that point. They were probably looking at her as if to say, you just denied a blind person his rights, didn't you? We're just not going to say anything at this current point in time because me as the student, I'm only 15. I can't throw back in the teacher's face and say, fuck off. I can't do that. No, I, I, I'd, I'd get suspended for that. So for the rest of the day, I'm stewing. I'm, 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 I'm pissed. I'm pissed. So I go home and I, uh, as soon as I get home, put my book back down, go in the hallway and I call my mom up because at the time my mom was a school nurse and she had a lot of pull. She knew a lot of the people around the, uh, <laughs> uh, she knew a lot of the people. She, she became very friendly with a lot of the people around the uh, school. And so I called her up. I go, hey. Mom, she's not letting me do it. She's not letting me do the modifications. I hang up and about three hours later, I hear the whole story. After calling my mom up, my mom calls up whoever, calls up a bunch of people, uh, the English department. They've gotten complaints about her in the past. Mom says, uh, 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 my mom gets the teacher on the phone and my mom just ripped into her like yesterday's supper. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. I would have loved to have been a converse, uh, recording of that call. I, I would love to have had it, but uh, a lot I've only had. I've only had to. He- I've only heard the uh, uh, the recap. But this woman, during this conversation, she insinuated that my mom was not spending enough quality time with her son. Oh, ho, ho. Uh, you. Do not say that to a parent about their child ever. Because here come the pitchforks. And my mom's reaction was, excuse me? Well, you know something, lady? I will help my son with his homework. I will not do his homework for him. He is more than capable of doing his homework for himself. All that stuff. Finally, finally, she caves. She crumbles. And she goes, all right, he can, he can do it, but they better be good. Cut to a week later. Now, now this is, yeah, this is uh, Friday. Uh, cut to exactly one Friday later. is like uh, the 22nd of November. So, so just, so just give you a little timeline here. This, the, uh, the, the phone call took place, the, the incident took place initially November 14th. And so now here we are, November 22nd, 2002. I can't remember what the hell we were doing. But she gets in front of class and she says, all right, in this course, there are 11 Fs. Pause. 1A. Got to my right goes, yeah, Lawrence. Everyone else, Bs, Cs, and Ds. Then she lays on this. She says, I'm calling everybody to let them know, uh, I'm calling everybody this weekend to let them know, uh, uh, to let your parents know exactly how you're doing in this course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then she goes on to say, the reason why there's only one A in this course is because Lawrence gets specialized help. You guys don't get that. Which is a very nice, sugar-coated way of saying, last week, I fucked up, but I'm not going to admit to it at all no apology nothing to that effect i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that 
a woman yelled at me. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to sugarcoat it and say that Lawrence gets specialized help. That's it. No. So then two weeks later, poetry book is a do. I turn that baby in. A couple days later, it comes back. Perfect score. And the reason why I think that's the case is because I think that after that, I got to think that after that exchange, she was afraid of me. And you know what? Good. I hope she got a good look at my grill and I hope it haunts her in her dreams because after that, after, after that course wrapped up, anytime we'd pass each other in the hallway, anytime, she always gave me a very friendly, very cordial, hi, Lawrence. That was it. Nothing else. <laughs> that was it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I am so passionate about pictures, having descriptions accompany them so that I'm able to get in on the fun too. Because it might be a really funny thing that you're trying to show me, but if you don't post a description, well, then I'm out of the loop. And I'll never forget one time one more story, and I'm very proud of this. A couple of years ago, like 18 months ago, I posted this article on Christopher Columbus. And I just post it, and some guy goes in the comments section, and he posts a picture, no description. So I call him out. I'm like, uh, uh, so I call him. Like, uh, so I call him out. I'm like, uh, description, please. He doesn't supply it. Next day, I send this guy a video that I did called, uh, sorry about that, describe the picture. I send this to this guy. A couple days later, I message him again. I go, hey, do we have an understanding now, sir? And he got just incredibly, just very combative. Uh, he said to me that he posts to everyone else's timeline the exact same way all that stuff. And then he goes on to say that he knows me as blind Lawrence. Pfft. Well, if you know me as blind Lawrence, then why don't you provide a description asshole? But he didn't. So the following night on this radio show, I fucking exploded on this douchebag. And one of the things that I screamed into the microphone, I screamed out. He was a myopic incompetent, fucking cocksucker because he doesn't know the rules and he treated me like shit so with that in mind i decided to be an even bigger dick i decided to assign him homework i said motherfucker if you want to stay in this game you have homework from me and if you don't do it by this time frame if you don't do it by this time frame you're gone so the following morning i go on uh, facebook and i publicly shame the man I say to him, hey, everyone, time for public ridicule. Here's a guy named Kevin. Kevin decided to post a picture of my timeline with no description, etc., etc., etc. And I even said in the post, you got one more chance there, man. 11.59 p.m. by Sunday night, post a picture of my timeline and describe it. And you can, and, and, and you can stick around. But nope, he was defiant. And so I said, all right, well, I'm done with you. And then he said something else. And I said, 
I'm sorry, dot, 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 that you're such a fucking myopic cocksucker who doesn't know how to treat the fucking blind people. I don't know, something like that. I, I just, I, I went off on that guy. Because I'm not going to tolerate that. You post a picture to my timeline, you provide a description. I don't care if it's a GIF, if it's a, if it's a JPEG, if it's a PNG, or whatever the hell it is. Have some damn respect for your fellow humans. And that includes the blind people. Because I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that if the tables were turned and I had some blind friends, hell yes, I would describe pictures I would send to them. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta decompress a little bit. You know, let, yesterday was an anniversary, the 21-year anniversary of quite possibly one of the greatest bits in sad. Actually, you know, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later because it's time for uh, time for sports and uh, Rome's back. Hey, Jim, how's it going, man? It's going really good. Got to get a microphone. I know. Oh, it's a big wave over there. Going to move my sapphire right over here to the right. All right. There we go. All right. Well, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to fix up a little. Uh, I don't know. Fix up a little snack or something. Stu, you want anything, man? Yeah. Can you get me some uh, pizza rolls? Yep. You got it. All right. Take it away, Jim. Welcome. Thank you for the praise. From Los Angeles. This is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. What is up? A tremendous Friday to every one of you listening to the Lawrence Ross Show. I am Jim Rome. Hope you all had a great Easter. Clothes, telling you right now, save me your little buddy Fufu hopping through the forest smack. Because that is dead on arrival. It ain't happening here. Easter was last week. Hope you had a good Easter. Easter, buddy. Great animal. All right. Want to get some stuff here? Aaron Rodgers might be the new host for Jeopardy. Sounds like a really good idea. Sounds like a good plan for him. Love Aaron Rodgers. Great guy. Great guest in the jungle. I really think he's got it. He's got a great gift when he's talking about the contestants. He is great. He is just great. All right. <clears throat> Looking at the emails here. Hey, Romy. Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. What's next? Danica Patrick hosting Wheel of Fortune. Clark in New Hampshire. Clark, that's actually a really good point. That's actually a really good point. Will that actually happen? Because that would be something. Danica Patrick. Maybe take over Vanna White spot. That'd be great. What's that? I can turn those letters. Hey, Danica, we need two T's, baby. Like, turn it left. All right. Another email here. Dear Romy, Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. What's next? Does this mean that Brett Favre is going to be hosting a show on the Playboy channel? All right, you're blocked. Blocked! Blocked! That didn't make any sense. That was Triple U. That was uninspired, unoriginal, and unfunny. Blocked! Nice try, Travis in Wisconsin. I was going to read your name originally, but then I decided just to read it. Put you on blast. All right. 
Now, the Masters are going to be on. Tell you this right now, it's not the same without Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. What a great, great athlete. Athlete. But the reports have come out now saying that Tiger was going about 80 miles an hour in a 40. Wow, Tiger, way to get it, my man. Quite the speed demon behind the wheel. Dear Ben Smack, where was Tiger with these high speeds when his wife smashed his car with the golf club? Chad in Arizona. Chad, that's a really good question. Because we don't know how fast he was driving originally when he hit that tree. And he also crashed a couple, you know, this past, uh, earlier this year. That's what we're talking about right now. All right. Get, all right. You know what? That, that's pretty much all I got for this week, unfortunately. I mean, I wish I had more, but I don't. Where's my sign-out music, man? Oh, there it is. All right. This has been the Jim Rub Show. A little abbreviated because I got nothing else because the clothes. Your emails say clothes really stunk. Not only good takes. Not all that good. All right. Lawrence Ross Show will be back. Trip by Sapphire Red. All right. Thank you very much, Jim. I know this segment was a little, uh, I don't know. But uh, anyway, yeah, well, yeah, so the Masters are uh, happening this week. This weekend, I should say. And, uh, well, went again to this here. This is, this is, where is it? All right. Okay. All right. Uh, got two uh, golf-related things. First is from George Carlin from 1992. This is from his Jammin' in New York special. This is where he talks about how he wants to make land that's taken up by golf courses turn it into houses for the homeless. And he goes on this anti-golf rant, which is great. And then I'm going to go into, uh, and then, then after that, I'm going to pull up uh, the uh, Tiger Woods song that I did. So stand by. Here's, uh, here's some George Carlin for you. Back after this. I've got just the place for low-cost housing. I have solved this problem. I know where we can build housing for the homeless. Golf courses. Perfect. Golf courses. Just what we need. Just what we need. Plenty of good land in nice neighborhoods. Land that is currently being wasted on a meaningless, mindless activity engaged in engaged in primarily by white, well-to-do male businessmen who use the game to get together to make deals to carve this country up a little finer among themselves. I am getting tired, really getting tired of these golfing cocksuckers in their green pants and their yellow pants and their orange pants and their precious little hats and their cute little golf carts. It is time to reclaim the golf courses from the wealthy and turn them over to the homeless. Golf is an arrogant, elitist game and it takes up entirely too much room in this country. Too much room in this country. It is an arrogant game on its very design alone. Just the design of the game speaks of arrogance. Think of how big a golf course is. The ball is that fucking big. What do these pinheaded pricks need with all that land? There are over 17,000 golf courses in America. They average from 150 to 200 acres apiece. That's 3 million plus acres. 4,820 square miles. You could build two Rhode Islands and a Delaware for the homeless. 
on the land currently being wasted on this meaningless, mindless, arrogant, elitist, racist, there's another thing, the only blacks you'll find in country clubs are carrying trays, and a boring game. Boring game for boring people. You ever watch golf on television? It's like watching flies fuck. And a mindless game, mindless. Think of the intellect it must take to draw pleasure from this activity. Hitting a ball with a crooked stick and then walking after it. And then hitting it again. I say, pick it up, asshole. You're lucky you found the fucking thing. Put it in your pocket and go the fuck home. You're a winner. You're a winner. You found it. No. Never happened. No. No chance of that happening. Dorco in the plaid knickers is going to hit it again and walk some more. Let these rich cocksuckers play miniature golf. Let them fuck with a windmill for an hour and a half or so. See if there's really any skill among these people. Now, I know there are some people who play golf who don't consider themselves rich. Fuck them! And shame on them for engaging in an arrogant, elitist pastime. There it is. That is from 1992. And you can tell that there's that one, uh, 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 the part where he says that uh, the only blacks you'll find in country clubs are carrying trays, of course. Now, what with uh, Tiger Woods being, uh, 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 being a part of you know, being a part of golf, I mean, he has really, I mean, he, he really did change the game for uh, uh, for what it was and what it is. I mean, if, if you're into golf, I mean, I've played, I'm, well, I've, I've played like a little bit, like I've, like I've putted a couple of times and I have driven the golf cart many times. And one time, <laughs> I'll never forget this story, but uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is just such fun. So it's called this for Christmas. My dad and I, and I think a couple of my uncles were uh, all hanging out playing golf. Well, I wasn't playing golf. I was just hanging around with them. And so it's just me and my dad. We're in the golf cart. We're going to drop it off. And, like, nobody else is around. So I'm going full speed. And full speed on a golf cart is like 20 miles an hour, give or take. And so we're, we're going to the drop-off spot. My dad says, okay, hit the brakes. But my foot wasn't quick enough. And I go full speed. Boom! Hit the garage door. <laughs> the parking garage door and nobody was around so my dad was just like nah you know what let's think some old fart did it <laughs> and they probably did they probably did but anyway I just want to play this Tiger Woods song real quick because it as I said earlier it's now come out that he was going roughly 80 miles an hour I think about 82 miles an hour and it's also been determined that he must have been unconscious uh he must be unconscious when it happened so I don't know if he fell asleep at the wheel, if he's got a lead foot or what, but either way, it's uh, either way, it gives me a good reason to play the uh, Tiger Woods song I did. Tiger's bad legs. Here you go. Hey, it's Tiger. I need you to do a huge favor. Please take your name off your phone. My wife went through my phone. He was once the golfing champ. Yes, he ruled the green until 2009 Thanksgiving night. His wife got mad and oh hot damn she fucked up his face As he pulled away she yelled out fuck you Tiger's bad legs can't control his ride it's true Tiger's bad legs hey man hit the brakes he's hit a tree or two Throw away his golfing shoes 
Tiger's bad legs think his career is, his career is through. Hitting a ball with a crooked stick and then walking after it. And then hitting it again. He had a thing for the ladies with big perky breasts. Now he's down and out and feeling lame. In 2017, he caught a DUI. SUVs and golf carts don't drive the same. Tiger's bad legs can't control his ride. It's true. Tiger's bad legs. A man hit the brakes. He's hit a tree or two. Throw away his golfing shoes. Tiger's bad legs think his career is, his career's all through. My wife went to my phone and uh, maybe calling you just to have it as a number on the voicemail. Just have it as your telephone number and say, okay, you gotta do this for me quickly. Alright, bye. Pulled him through the fragments of that smashed window pane. I wonder if he is actually blind. He really should just hang it up, he's pushing 45. All good things come to an end, yes it's true. Tiger's bad legs, can't control his ride, it's true. Tiger's bad legs, hey man hit the brakes, he's hit a tree or two. Throw away his golfing shoes. Tiger's bad legs think his career is, his career's all through. The 45-year-old's injuries do not appear to be life-threatening. It is not clear tonight if the world's most accomplished golfer will play the sport he has defined for decades ever again. You ever watch golf on television? It's like watching flies fuck. The Lord Ross Show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And I really, uh, as I was listening to that uh, Carlin monologue, it, it just it reminded me as to why the line of, if you ever watch golf on television, is like watching flies fuck is one of my favorite lines ever from Carlin. Just because just, just just it is. It's, just, it's funny, man. Funny is funny. All right, 42 minutes past the top of the hour. On the uh, Lawrence Ross program. Uh, let's see. What do I want to play here? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. What's this? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, well. <clears throat> well, ladies and gentlemen, the hip-hop world has lost a very big name today. DMX, a.k.a. Earl Simmons, passed away earlier today at the age of 50. He was on life support. And... I checked out this documentary about him like 10 years ago. It was, it was behind this. Uh, it was behind the music on VH1 about him. And when it was over, I'm thinking to myself, how is this guy not dead or homeless with all the struggles that he's been through? All, all the problems that he's put himself through and all the problems that he has got, he has ended up in. But, you know, I, I never would have thought that we'd have lost DMX at such a uh, at such such a such a time. I mean, I I I, th- I thought he probably would have lived another thirty years or so, but nevertheless, uh, 
I'm I'm sort of into DMX. Like 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 I know like some of his music, like a little bit. Like I don't know all the words to it, but it's his albums. I mean, yeah, ninety nine percent of it is him talking about like hoes and gangsters and smoking weed and all the all, all you know all, all all the other stuff that he would rap about. But he he would also take time out to show that he was a very spiritual man. He was it was it was very, it was it was a very spiritual man in regards to uh, the Lord, and uh, he did he he did five he did five prayers on his albums, and this is uh well this is one of them. This this is actually this is the first one he ever did. So this this is this is this is very you know it's 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 very spiritual. I'm not a very big religious person, but I think I'm more of like a spiritual kind of person like hey if it works for you it works for you so here's here's a nice nice little uh, uh here's a nice little prayer that uh, earl simmons dedicated to the lord you don't have to agree with him just listen to the words that he speaks wait <laughs> yeah a computer uh way to really help me out on this one hold on oh yeah, uh, there we go. You didn't have your volume knob turned up. Ah, shut up. I, I, I know, man. I know. Uh, what? Uh, take two. Yeah, take two, man. Mulligan. You mulligan. I come to you. There we go. Okay, here we go. I come to you hungry and tired. You give me food. Let me sleep. I come to you weak. You give me strength, and that's deep. You call me a sheep. And lead me to green pastures. Only asking that I keep the focus in between the chapters. You give me the word. And only ask that I interpret. And give me the eyes. That I may recognize the serpent. You know I ain't perfect. But you'd like me to try. Unlike the devil who just wants me to lie. Till I die. Lord why is it that? I go through so much pain. All I saw was black. All I felt was rain. I come to you because it's you who knows. You showed me that everything was black because my eyes were closed. You gave me the light and let me bask in your glory. So it was only right that when you asked for this story, I put it together. To do our dogs some good. Our dogs being brothers and sisters in the hood. Plenty of times you sent help my way, but I hid. And I remember once you held me close, but I slid. There was something that I just had to see. That you wanted me to see so I could be what you wanted me to be. And I think I've seen it. Because I don't feel the same. Matter of fact, I know I've seen it. I can feel the change. And it's strange. I was got me beating down your door. But I've never known love like this before. It's a wonderful feeling to get away from the pain. And up under the ceiling, I get away from the rain. And the strain that I feel when I'm here is gone. I know real, so I wipe away the tears, son. And I almost lost faith when you took my man. Monty, Faso, and Dre's brother Dan. And I fear that what I'm saying won't be heard until I'm gone. But it's all good, because I really didn't expect to live long. 
So if it takes for me to suffer, for my brother to see the light, give me pain till I die. But please, Lord, treat him right. So there you go. And it was so eerie when I was pulling that uh, today because I wanted to have something to document his uh, prayer segments on, his, on some of his albums. And I just, uh, I'm like, oh, I'll type in DMX prayer. Started listening to the first one. I'm like, ooh, this is really good. And then he said the part about when he's gone. Now he is gone. Damn. Isn't that something? One day you're here and one day you're not. That's just, that's just how it goes. It's crazy, man. Wait a minute, what the? Ah, dang it. <laughs> what the heck? Ah, sheesh. Hold on. Trying to do some live stuff here. Stand by. Okay, that goes there. Okay. Let's see. Where the hell is it? Okay, there we go. Blam. There we go. Okay, that. Okay, boom. Just doing a little life mix here. I know I probably should have done that earlier, but uh, it just, I don't know, it just, it, it, it came to me in the, uh, the, the, the timing, man. The timing, the timing. All right. Uh, so, yes, as, as, as I was, as I was getting into, uh, I was, I was, I was getting to this earlier, but then I decided to just go ahead and just jump into sports. But uh, I figured I'd go and run this now because it'll run right into the intro. It'll run right into the interlude. And then coming up after the interlude, folks, I got a thing about uh, the, let's see. Uh, I got a thing about the Lindbergh baby. I got, let's see. Uh, let's see. I think about the Lindbergh baby and uh Think about carjackings and uh, remembering uh, Sam Kinison as uh, tomorrow's the anniversary of his passing. But uh, make sure I got that here. Okay. All right. Setting this up earlier, but as I say, I got sidetracked. But anyway, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Yesterday was the anniversary. The Yesterday was the 21-year anniversary of the More Cowbell sketch on Saturday Night Live. It featured Christopher Walken, Will Ferrell, and I think Jimmy Fallon's in this one, too. But Will Ferrell and a bunch of other guys, they're playing uh, the guys from Blue Oyster Cult. And Christopher Walken is playing the record producer, Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> and I got a fever. The only prescription is More Cowbell. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Young man, heard a bunch about you. All right, all right. Tell me about the watch up your ass later. Yeesh. Hope you cleaned it. Ugh. All right. Without further ado, here is the more cowbell sketch from Saturday Night Live, then into the interlude, and then back with more after this. This is the Lawrence Ross Show on RazRadioLive.com and RadioChaos.net. Be back in a few. Thanks for listening, everybody. After a series of staggering defeats, Blue Oyster Cult assembled in the recording studio in late 1976 for a session with famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready uh, to lay this first track down. By the way, 
My name is Bruce Dickinson. Yes, the Bruce Dickinson. And I gotta tell you, fellas, you have got what appears to be a dynamite sound. Coming from you, Bruce, that means a lot. Yeah, I mean, you're Bruce Dickinson. This is incredible. I can't believe Bruce Dickinson digs our sound. Easy, guys. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. <laughs> All right, here we go. Fear, don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll it. All right, one, two, three, four. for a second please that, that was going to be a great track guys what's the deal uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay I'll be honest fellas it was sounding great but I could have used a little more cowbell <laughs> so let's take it again and Gene yeah really explore the studio space this time you got it Bruce I mean really yeah explore the space okay I like what I'm hearing roll it one, two, three, four. Could you come back in here, please? Fellas, no, we, we just wasted two good tracks. This last one was even better than the first. Well, it's just that I find Gene's cowbell playing distracted. I don't know. If I'm the only one, I'll shut up. No, it's pretty rough. You know, I can pull it back a little if you like. Not too much, though. I'm telling you, fellas, you're going to want that cowbell on the track. You know what? It, it's fine. Let's just do the thing. Hey, roll it. One, two, three, four. It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. Don't blow this for us, Gene! Could be, could be so selfish, Gene. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. I'm standing here staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. The cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say it, baby. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. <laughs> I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Yes, 
guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. But I think if, I think if, it, if I just leave and uh, maybe I'll come back later, we can lay down the cowbell. Come on, baby. Gene, wait. Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now with us together? Do you mean that, Eric? Oh, yeah. Speaks for all of us. Thank you. Babies, before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickens. Roll it. One, two, three, four. You're listening to a show hosted by a man with a face for radio. His disgusting, repulsive physical condition will be enough to convince you to stay sober. But he does have a very passionate personality. That man insults me. The Lawrence Ross Show will continue after this. Take a ride and leave. 
back to the show. Who's in charge over there? Want to get involved in the program? Ain't nobody got time for this. Call or text the comment line 813-602-2715. Get off the phone with me, you wacky prick. This is the Lawrence Ross Show. Now back to our regular program. The Lawrence Ross Show. What's happening, everybody? Hope you're enjoying the program this far. You guys heard Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots earlier. It's part of the mission. Now it's Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stone. It's taking us into the second always liked the Stones, man. I've always, always enjoyed the Stones. Now, I was listening to that, uh, listen to that element from, uh, from, uh, Saturday Night Live, and I was thinking, here's an idea. How about if they just rename the coronavirus vaccine more cowbell? They did that. That would probably mean a lot more people would probably want to get it. I think that, that would probably work. I don't know. Anyway, I went to play this whole bit. I, I found this one in the archives, and uh, let me just say that I uh, uh, saw that uh, Caitlyn Jenner was on The Masked Dancer, or The Masked Singer the other night, whatever it was, and uh, everyone's going nuts over Caitlyn's performance of this song, TikTok by Kesha, and I heard it, and it, it was, eh, it was okay, it wasn't like great. Or it wasn't crap. It was meh. Let me just say that has nothing to do with Caitlyn Jenner originally becoming, originally being Bruce, and then getting gender reassignment surgery, and pretty much everyone in the world pretty much saying, "Oh my gosh, how stunning and brave Bruce Jenner is for doing such a feat," which is kind of wild because forty years prior, everybody was celebrating him doing the decathlon. But anyway, this is a uh, bit that I did uh, around the time when Caitlin got the surgery. I remember my dad said to me, you know, it's only a matter of time before they come out with a Caitlyn Jenner cookbook. <laughs> so this this is a uh, one that I did. And, and I cut this one like an hour before showtime. So I think there's there's, there's like a word missing that I should have put in there. But anyway, yeah, well, uh, you be the judge. It's It's called Caitlyn Jenner cookbook. Here we go. Coming this summer to a Walmart near you, it's the brand new Caitlyn Jenner Cookbook. Forget about regular recipes, this cookbook will spice up your food Kardashian style. Robert Kardashian egg rolls, with the guarantee of, if they don't make you shit, you must acquit. Also in this cookbook, Kanye West fish sticks. If they're good enough for an egomaniacal rapper who thinks he's a homosexual fish, they're certainly good enough for you. <laughs> By the way, that's that's outdated. Not 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 the fish sticks thing, but uh, the uh, Kim and Kanye thing. Anyway, and dessert lovers, we haven't left you out. Chow down on the brand new Kardashian carrot cake. 
Not only is this carrot cake delicious, but it will also give you an incredibly big ass and small brain cells. Look for this and other fine recipes coming soon in the Caitlyn Jenner cookbook. If it's good enough for a man trapped in a woman's body who's a decathlon, certainly it's good enough for the rest of the American public. The Caitlyn Jenner Cookbook does not use any genetically modified foods. The Caitlyn Jenner Cookbook is printed on 100% recycled paper and does not contain any recipes with sausage. All proceeds benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Chef's hat and chef's apron not included. Sheesh. <laughs> benefit. <clears throat> proceeds benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Foundation. I probably should have done like a gender reassignment surgery thing that would have made more sense. Ugh. All right. Well, too late for that. Can't go back and recut. All right. What do I got here? <clears throat> oh, okay. All right. Uh, let's see. What's what's this here? Oh, come on. Let's see what this is. This is the carjacking bit. This is carjacking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it se- seems like. Uh, Man, it, it seems like the natives are natives are getting restless in regards to the pandemic because now there's a spike in carjackings. A disturbing new trend in some of America's largest cities. Violent carjackings are on the rise. And in some cases, the suspects are kids as young as 12 and 13. Here's CBS's Jeff Begay's. Damn, there, there's there's a parenting problem right there. If the kids are acting up, they're playing too much Grand Theft Auto. The number of carjackings has exploded during the pandemic. That In Washington, D.C., cell phone video shows Uber Eats driver Mohammed Anwar trying to regain control of his Honda Accord after two teenage girls carjacked him, also assaulting him with a taser. The incident ended with Anwar's car on its side and the 66-year-old Pakistani immigrant and father of three dead. In Chicago, a woman screams as a suspect throws her to the ground before getting away in her car. Carjackings have increased by over 100% in Chicago. New wait, wait. By over 100%? If you're at 100%, then you're at 100%. How can it be over 100%? It's, it's just impossible. <laughs> Anything past 100% is just not... Uh, not mathematically possible. I, I, I don't understand that at all. Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and Minneapolis. In Washington, D.C., they are up 343%. In va- Again, with that number, th- they're up 343%. Where, what, what kind of pie graph are they looking at? Investigators say the trend is being driven by 12 to 15-year-olds with time on their hands during the pandemic. Suspects are targeting people warming up their cars or delivery drivers. I find myself looking over my shoulder these days. What should motorists do to protect themselves from these carjackings? What you're doing is exactly what needs to be done is being aware of your surroundings. Navy sailor Draper Younce was waiting for a friend when he was ordered to give up his car at gunpoint. I see movement out of my camera. A man runs up to me, puts a gun to my face and tells me to get out of the car. The Tesla's cameras show the suspect running toward him. And as Draper steps on the gas to escape, what you don't see is the suspect firing at him. What did it hit? The pillar, the B pillar between the uh, front uh, driver's side door and the back passenger door. So you must feel pretty lucky. Definitely a little bit of luck was involved. 
A number of cities and regions right now across the country have carjacking task forces, which means that police are sharing information. And that will ultimately cut down on the amount of time it takes to catch up to these carjacking suspects. Hopefully they're able to curve it, you know, get under control. <laughs> back, in, back in 1993, I think it was, or 94, Howard Stern did Howard Stern's Rotten New Year's Eve, and they did it in uh, New Jersey. And the guy who uh, the guy did the announcing, he says he, he opened up the show by saying, "And now live from the carjacking capital of the world in Newark, New Jersey, it's Howard Stern's Rotten New Year's Eve." And the uh, and, and, and the and the people in New Jersey weren't too happy about that, but it's a fact of life. What else are you gonna do, right? It's a fact of life. You can't change it. It's just the way it is. Let me just get one more thing. I forgot to get this one thing here. Uh, let's see. Ah, darn it. Wrong one. <laughs> I went to the wrong folder. Ain't that something? Goes to the wrong folder. All right. There we go. Okay. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. All right. Now, uh, wasn't playing talk about this. There's no uh, irrelevancy regards in regards to this, but it's just something that I found. Up, um, uh, for anybody who is uh, new to the show, I'm big into the Weird History channel on YouTube, and so I like to uh, pull stuff from their channel and uh, play it on the program and uh, check it out with y'all. So this is uh, something about the Lindbergh baby. So here we go. Initially, the New Jersey State Police believed the kidnapping had to be an inside job. And right off the bat, they found it suspicious that the kidnapper knew the exact location of the baby's room. Ooh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's something. I mean, like, it's, I mean, in all fairness, they, they didn't have the forensic evidence they got today. So you got to think this is back in the 30s. So they, they had to work with what they uh, with what they had, which wasn't all that, which was which, which, hey, they worked. They made good with what they had. The Lindbergh's home was new and parts of it were still under construction when the kidnapping occurred. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second now. So you're trying to tell me that while the kidnapping occurred. So so how how exactly did that work? Like, did the kidnapper like go in the house and look around for the baby's room and then go oh wait hold on there's a section of uh wait there wait the section of the floor is missing that that's still dirt that's still dirt man i <laughs> i don't know exactly what, what what that entailed like was was there like like uh, uh were they putting in a fence out back or something i, I don't know continuing the family had not even officially moved in and at that point they were only spending weekends there but the kidnapping happened on a tuesday evening and who else but someone on the inside would know that the family remained after the weekend due to the baby's bad cold. Ooh. According to Anne Morrow Lindbergh, the only people who knew were her own parents and one of her parents' housemaids, who often cared for the baby. The only other people who knew the family's whereabouts that evening were little Charlie's nanny and the Lindbergh butler, who were themselves inside the house. Police immediately noted that the baby's nursery had been wiped clean of fingerprints, even those that should have been there. And Ooh. Including those of the baby and his parents. Ah, well, hey, may, may, maybe it was an inside job, but there's still more to go, folks. As the case evolved over the next few days, police and other investigators determined that Charles Lindbergh was maintaining control of the investigation and may have ordered the cleaning of the crime scene. 
Well, that, that that's that seems a little. I don't know. That seems a little far fetched. I mean, if if he, I mean, if 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 he's truly grieving for his son, well, then why 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 would he? You know, like would when when do you want to try and? Well, I don't know. Continuing. One of the more eerie Lindbergh baby circumstances concerns the fate of Lindbergh household servants. Until the sole official suspect, Bruno Richard Hauptmann, was arrested, authorities rigorously and repeatedly questioned members of the Lindbergh household staff. Ooh, man. <laughs> they, they, they are still harping on that it was an inside job thing. Chief among these was Violet Sharp, a woman who was in the employ of Anne Lindbergh's parents as a housemaid. Since Anne, Charles, and their baby were not only frequent visitors to the Morrow home, but were actually also living there while their new home was built, Sharp was regularly pressed into the service of caring for the Lindbergh baby. Indeed, Sharp was one of only a very few who knew that the family would remain at the new home prior to the baby's disappearance. Ooh, maybe he had something to do with it. Maybe, may, 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 or may, maybe he, maybe it was a false confession. Maybe, maybe when they nabbed him, maybe he just falsely confessed. Just so he could get them off, I don't know, get them off their, I don't know, throw them off, or I don't know. And this is why she was at the top of the police suspect list. Sharp was called in for questioning twice, and neither was a pleasant experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, being called in to a police station is ever considered to be, like, a fun experience. Police were under enormous pressure to solve the crime and return the child. I wonder if the kid's like, hey, look, man, the chief's on my ass about this Lindbergh thing, man. We go, we, we, we define this kid, man. Come on. After all, this was Lucky Lindy's baby, and the entire world was watching. The department's reputation was on the line. No pressure. Under the circumstances, their questioning was often brutal. Sharp, for her part, didn't help her case by lying to the police about her whereabouts on the night in question. Ooh, not good. And when the baby's remains were discovered and she was questioned again, she became agitated and very upset. The police called her in yet again for questioning, but they never got the chance. Sharp was found dead, having taken a fatal dose of cyanide. The Lindbergh's butler, Oliver Waitley, who was one of the five people present the night of the kidnapping, was also repeatedly questioned by the police. He died very suddenly of peritonitis the following year. Oh! Oh, ouch! That just sounds painful. <laughs> yeah, that that yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, may, I don't know. Was he? I don't know. Now, now I'm starting to think that those two housekeepers. I'm starting to think that they were poisoned. That's just my opinion. Focus on the homemade ladder used in the kidnapping began on the very night of the crime. Though, wait, wait, wait a second. How exactly? My question is, how exactly this person construct a homemade ladder? I, w I wonder how long that must have taken. Though crudely made, it was evident that its creator possessed carpentry and mechanical skills. Since Somebody who was good at geometry. The ladder was designed to expand as needed and retract into an easily carried compact piece. Hmm. Pretty good ingenuity if you got it. First checked for fingerprints, then compared with the scuffs on the windowsill outside the nursery, the wood used to construct the ladder was an important clue for authorities. A forest service expert named Arthur Kohler was summoned to inspect the materials. A forest service expert. Wow. <laughs> I haven't seen that one on CNN yet. Forest service expert. Hmm. That's interesting. What is he able to look? What is he able to look at? Is he able to look at a, at a piece of wood and go, that's from a redwood. 
or oh, that's from a uh, up. Oh, you know, that, that that's from a uh, I don't know the kind of trees there. I mean, there's redwoods and there's uh oh, duh, oak, <laughs> oak, oak trees, oak trees, redwood trees, and uh, jacaranda trees. Those are kind of more in Florida. Anyway. He disassembled the ladder and inspected each piece of wood, every chisel mark, and every nail hole. Ooh, very meticulous. He concluded that several distinct types of wood had been sourced to build the ladder, including one wood that was designed for use in indoor construction. Co- wait, wait, wait. Designed for indoor construction? What? What, as opposed to outdoor construction? <laughs> traveled to wood factories and processing centers to make comparisons, as well as comparing wood sources at the homes of the Lindberghs, their family, and friends. Kohler's meticulous efforts would prove useful later on in the case. When Bruno Richard Hauptmann was arrested due to his possession of numbered banknotes from the ransom, Kohler had a new source to compare with his findings. High in Hauptmann's home attic, he discovered a plank of wood that was a perfect match to a plank used to construct the kidnapper's ladder. Hmm, so if that's the case, again, my question is, how did this guy know the Lindbergh family? That being said, not all experts agree that this was evidence of Hauptmann's guilt, claiming that the wood in question was purposefully planted in the attic to implicate Hauptmann. I don't know about that. I mean... There's a possibility, but then again, if he was the lead suspect and they got him, well, then they got their ban, right? I would think, I would hope. Though they look more like a torture device than a training tool to the eyes of people today, thumb guards were commonly used in the early 20th century to discourage young children from sucking their thumbs. Why is, uh, uh... Why, is there something horrible about a child sucking on their thumb? I mean, it happens, you know? Every, every, every baby's done that. Sheesh. I don't know, I guess, I don't know. I guess, I don't know, I guess, I guess some families were more concerned with nails, I guess. I honestly don't know. Little Charlie was among those children who were put to bed each night with metal guards placed over the thumbs. The guards were attached to a strong string or metal chains, which were secured to a crib rail, one on each side. Placed that way, a child could move about to a point, but was physically unable to bring either thumb to the mouth. But wait a second, what about the other way around? If they're unable to bring the thumb to the mouth, can it be the other way around? Are they able to bring the mouth to the thumb and then go for broke and all of a sudden, bang, the metal thing hits them in the mouth? Oh, oh, thumb guard, thumb guard! <laughs> uh, continuing. Most accounts of the kidnapping make no mention of Charlie's thumb guards. Uh. They were melted down. They were, they were, they were melted down for scrap metal, and we used it to make a gun. We gave it to Sinatra in the forties because we're the mafia guys. <laughs> I don't know if the if the kidnapper was in the mafia. I'm just speculating. But it was nearly one month after the crime. His nanny, Betty Gao, discovered a thumb guard exactly like Charlie's, crushed in the driveway leading away from the Lindbergh home. Maybe somebody. I have, I, have an expo- uh, I have a possible theory. Maybe the guy in the getaway car ran it over. <laughs> the location of the discovery was problematic for Lindbergh and the police, as their investigation already concluded that footprints in the grass and mud, along with pieces of the ladder, marked the kidnapper's path, a path that headed in precisely the opposite direction from the location of the thumb guard. Huh. 
Well, again, maybe maybe it was just discarded, and maybe somebody just ran over it, and they just hap, and it just coincidentally happened to be at that spot. Questions concerning the contradictory evidence were never addressed, and remain one of the stranger aspects of the disappearance. Brings more of a mystery out to it. At the time of his son's kidnapping, Charles Lindbergh was one of the most famous men in the world, a premier aviator, and a hero to people around the globe. In fact, it's not a stretch to say that the general public considered him above reproach. While his friends and family also respected him, they were privy to other aspects of his personality that were not so positive. Lindbergh was a notorious practical joker. Sometimes these jokes took the form of gentle teasing, but often his so-called jokes were cruelly intended to frighten the recipient. Ooh, it's kind of freaky. Chief among his targets was his wife, Anne. In fact, when baby Charlie was discovered missing from his crib, the baby's nanny, Betty Gao, immediately approached Lindbergh and asked if he had taken the baby as part of a prank on his wife. According to her handwritten statement, Gao claimed she suspected Lindbergh of yet another practical joke, since she knew he had taken the baby and hidden him before. According to authors Gregory Algren and Stephen Monnier, Gao was referring to an incident that took place only two months before the kidnapping. On this occasion, Lindbergh had hidden the child in a closet. He then sent his wife and the household into a panic by telling them the boy had been kidnapped. Oh, jeez. Wow. Man, what a sick sense of humor this guy has. Jeez. Telling the family that their kid was kidnapped and then two months later it actually happens? Oh, man. What the... I thought this was about Charles Lindbergh, not the boy who cried wolf. Another side of Charles Lindbergh's personality and interest that remained hidden during his lifetime had to do with his enthusiasm for eugenics. Or, for those that don't know, it is the theoretical use of biology and breeding to produce a superior human race. Lindbergh considered himself in possession of such superlative genes, and he was an early supporter of Hitler's eugenics program. Oh, boo! Later in life, Lindbergh even pursued German women with the express purpose of uniting his own genes with those of a similar background. He fathered several children this way, along with the family he had with his wife, Anne. So, how does eugenics connect with Lindbergh's possible involvement in his first son's disappearance? Hmm. Well, when he was just 20 months old, little Charlie had trouble standing on his own, and some of his toes overlapped. Concerns about his health and a possible diagnosis of rickets meant that the little boy was given large daily doses of vitamin D and napped under a sunlamp. To his father's mind, such conditions pointed to inferior genetics. Oh, wah. Oh, boo-hoo, man. This is, this, this is a guy who traveled across the Atlantic solo, and he's upset over his kid having overlapping toes. Sheesh. Additionally, Ann Lindbergh's sister, Elizabeth Morrow, suffered from mental illness for much of her life. Lindbergh was aware of Elizabeth's condition, and it may have served as another strike against the genetics of the woman he had chosen to have a family with. Conversely, Elizabeth herself is considered by some to be a suspect in the kidnapping. Wow. How did they they jump to that conclusion? Author Noel Benn, for example, cites evidence that Elizabeth was resentful of her sister's marriage and once hid the baby Charlie in a trash closet. There was apparently enough concern over Elizabeth's treatment of the baby that the parents forbade her to have any contact with Charlie. 
Wow, it's brutal. Guess you won't be around to babysit. In addition to being a skilled and innovative aviator in her own right, Anne Morrow Lindbergh also authored a number of memoirs associated with aviation, family life, and the lives of women in the 20th century. In the 1930s, she published two volumes dealing with the pioneering aviation experiences she shared with her husband. Written around the same time, but not published until decades later, was a memoir and letter collection titled Hour of Gold, Hour of Lead. Included in that volume were the author's heart-wrenching thoughts on the kidnapping and loss of her first child. In the memoir, she writes poignantly of the moment investigators discovered him and how some of his blonde curls and fluff remained. She did not record any suspicions of who had taken her son, but wrote achingly of her fear that she would forget the details of his face and how it felt when she held him in her arms. Very early in the investigation, Charles Lindbergh encouraged communication between himself, the police, and the kidnappers. All right, good idea. A series of handwritten letters and messages published in newspapers was the result, with the kidnapper demanding $50,000 in cash for the safe return of the child. The author of those letters remains disputed to this day, since the man eventually arrested, tried, and convicted of the crime was fluent in German. But the letters suggest the writer might have been a non-German posing as a German. Or maybe, or there's a possibility that maybe he knows how to write in English. During the first weeks of communication between the parties, Lindbergh and the police demanded a token of proof that the kidnapper indeed had the child. When the seventh letter arrived, the sleeper Charlie was wearing the night of his disappearance came with it. It reminds me of that Rodney Dangerfield joke where he says how if, uh, 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 my parents don't care much about me. I got kidnapped. My dad called the guy up. He says, I want proof. He sent me the kid of a of a finger right here. It appeared freshly laundered, which gave rise to more eerie suspicion. But the Lindberghs identified the sleeper as belonging to their missing son. I wonder why that would erupt. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe there was probably blood stains on it, and maybe the guy washed them off. Other items of Charlie's clothing were found on May 12, 1932, when his decomposing body was accidentally discovered in a ditch a mere four miles from his home. He was still found wearing his white undershirt, by then heavily stained. Oh, man. Man, it's, it's brutal. That is brutal. But uh, just real quick, uh, the secret to life is that in in life, tragedies very often become comedies. And uh, this is this is this is the Family Guy explanation about the Lindbergh baby. This this is so twisted, but I love it. Maybe it's time for still. This is from uh, season two, episode four, by the way. Brian in love. Check it out. It's really funny. It's one of my favorites. Maybe it's time for Stewie to start potty training. Isn't he a little young for that? You know what happened to the Lindbergh baby? <laughs> Charles, he's only six months old. Honey, would you relax? God, I, f- I flew across the Atlantic by myself. I'm a national treasure, for God's sake. I think I know how to... Ah! Oh, God! Oh, God! <laughs> All right. He was kidnapped. You call the police. I'll write the ransom note. What, what about Amelia? She saw everything. You leave her to me. <laughs> oh, Gosh. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love that. All right. 29 29 minutes past the top of the second hour on the Lawrence Ross Show. It's time again to this here. 
There is a connection between the Beatles and Sam Kennison. December 8, 1953, Sam Kennison was born in Spokane, Washington. April 10, 1970, the Beatles announced their public breakup. December 8, 1980, John Lennon is murdered. Also on Sam Kennison's birthday, his 27th birthday. April 10, 1992, Sam Kinison dies in a car accident in Needles, California, on his way to a gig. Well, it's found to be very strange how those dates have intera- uh, interacted with each other. But yeah, man, uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of the passing of uh, Sam Kinison. And my dad got me hooked on to uh, Sam Kinison. I remember I was in a Best Buy with him back. This is back in, back in back in the back in the day when they used to have CDs and stuff. Would always go to the comedy section. And my dad tells me to check out Sam Kinison. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I get this Sam Kinison album, Live from Hell, and I got my portable CD player with me. Dating myself here. And we go to uh, Costco, and we're going to the aisles of Costco. I got my port, and I got my headphones, and and I'm just dying laughing. And on the way home, I finished the album, and then later on that night, I'm like, I gotta hear the last cut on this album because it was so it's 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 like something I've never heard before. <laughs> but uh, this is actually from his very first album, Louder Than Hell. This is this is one of my favorite bits where he talks about world hunger. So. Here we go, and uh, I got some other stuff about uh, Kennison too. So uh, here we go. Here's uh, here we go, folks. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here is Sam Kennison talking about world hunger from his album "Louder Than Hell" from 1986. And on the other side, I'll have more Kennison-related stuff. So stand by, keep it tuned in here for more. Ah, oh, fuck, man, I'm having a great fucking time. This is too cool. Well, we gotta talk about one more thing, I guess, huh? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stop sending money to world hunger organizations. Well, I don't want to seem cruel, you know, but uh, I'm, a, I'm an American, you know? You're just like you. I think we've done a lot. I think we pretty much fucking give out. You know, we give, we give, we give. And they fucking make these commercials to fuck with your head. You know, you're sitting at home, you're having a wonderful time, enjoying what the fuck you put together from scratch. On your own, in your own life. You turn on the television and they got this fucking two-year-old, three-inch wasted kids. And we're going, and the voiceover's like, won't you please help? What kind of sick fucking bastard are you? How can you sit there in that air condition? fully heated home with an icebox and cupboard full of food in a country where you can eat 24 hours a day while little Haji <laughs> pick up that fucking phone won't you please help huh? God, that sick fuck are you you really try to guilt trip this shit out of him it's like hey why don't you feed him you're only five feet away why don't you give him one of your sandwiches you pack for the day, huh, Bob? No, sir. Fuck 
fucking commercials, man. You know the guy's right off camera with a baby Ruth going, they can't see me, can they? Come here, you're If I could only walk. Come on, it's right there. Reach for it. Come on, they gear these fucking things up the fuck with your head, man. They know what they're doing. You got a director there going, come on, don't feed him yet. Don't feed him yet. The light was bad on that last one. Let's give one more take. Come on, Haji, get back in the mud hole. Come on. Come on, let's get out of here, these fucking mosquitoes, Jesus. We don't need that shit. You want to help them? You really want to help these people? Stop sending them food. Don't send these people another bite. You want to help them? Send them U-Hauls. Send them luggage, folks. Send them somebody like me. I'll walk out there. Send a guy there that goes, hey, hey, we just drove 700 miles with your food. And it occurred to us that there wouldn't be world hunger if you people would live where the food is! You live in a fucking desert! Do understand that you live in a fucking desert? Yes! You live in a fucking desert! Nothing grows here! Nothing's gonna grow here! Son of a bitch. You see this, huh? You see this? This is sand, yeah! Did you know nothing can grow in this shit? Did you know that, huh? Here, eat some of it. Taste it, motherfucker. It's sad. You know it's gonna be 100 years from now? It's gonna be sad! You live in a fucking desert! Get your kids, get your shit, we'll make one trip! We'll take you to where the food is! We have deserts in America, we just don't live in them, asshole! You guys been great! God bless you, good night! Take care of yourself! Ah, uh, there it is. That's from his 86 album. Louder than hell. 86 was a big year for Sam. I think 85 was when he was on uh, Letterman. And then in 86 was when he really started to get going. And this is a story from uh, Lenny Clark. This is from uh, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And this is a, and I played this before, but uh, I don't mind playing it again. Lenny Clark with a couple of Sam Kennison stories and then at the end Joe Rogan has an interesting little factoid about how Sam became the way that he was. So here you go. When I first met Kennison out at the store, I said, oh my God. It was like, oh. Hold on. Didn't have to think. Okay, take two. When I first met Kennison out at the store, I said, oh, my God. It was like a revel. I'd never seen anything. Like- and I've seen everybody. You know? Right, right. And I, I said, this is. Um-. So I call him. And I go, you got to see this fucking guy. He's nuts, man. It's unbelievable. He's like this preacher who does comedy. It's in- insane. And so uh, we bring him to Boston. And, and, and Nick's is the first stop. Fired. I had to fire him after the first show. Why? He He showed up all fucked up. And, you know, I, I got him some blow, and he went on stage, and <laughs> he, got, he just, he, he was got, doing, like, new material. Yeah. And I said, Sam, is there any way you could do your HBO? He goes, no, no bro. That's, that's been done, done. That's been done. And I go, well, I, I got to let you go. He goes, I figured that. <laughs> well, yeah. Then I got him a gig at The Connection. Then he got fired from that, there. Then you had him a place in Malden. He got fired. Then he shows up at Stitches at my gig, and he comes walking in. And I go, oh, Sam, man. I, I I can't lose this gig. This is my this is my big money gig. And he goes, do you trust me? Do you trust the beast? Do you trust the beast? Bring me on. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you saw him on the, the, the HBO. HBO, Saturday Night Live. He's one of the best I've ever seen. Sam comes stumbling out with half a bottle of him away. 
chugs it down, burps, and says, someone's fucking me tonight. And from then on, he just he found burnt the room down. And by the end of the night, they had hired him to come back to do the back room at the Paradise. And wow. it was off and running. But, oh, my God. This is like 86? Yeah. 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 Right after his oh, special. Yeah. You know what we did? So we're, we're in New York, and we're doing Caroline's. Right? And, I mean, everybody, was, everybody comes out to see the show. It's unbelievable. And they're going to do... Uh, Rolling Stone, he's on the cover of Rolling Stone, and he's supposed to do the Today Show. So he he flies in every girl that's ever broke up with him and puts them all up in the same hotel in different floors. I go, that's oh my fucking God. genius. Do you miss Daddy? Do you miss Daddy? It's Money Everett. It was fucking <laughs> crazy. So I, I, I never told the story to more than a small group of people, but we're in the room and. Uh, I'm lying on this side of the bed. His brother's Bill here. His mom's there. Sam's passed out the chair. We've, we've been going for days. And uh, <laughs> Sam's mother goes, Lenny, you got to get Sam up. He's got to do a Today Show. And I go, Today Show? That's huge, man. We can't blow this up. And he was just at the point where he, he didn't care anymore. I thought, so uh, I said, Sam. Sam, get up, get up. You got to do this. Your mother wants you to do it. This is big for you. It's great for your career. And we turn on the TV, and he's putting on his fucking Lenny. He's putting on his coat, and this challenger takes off. And we all we watch it. Explodes. He goes, I will this. I fucking will this. Everyone back to bed. And his mother's just going, hold on. And the phone rings. This is today's show. We won't be using Sam today. Oh my God! I will this. I will this. I want to go on the Today Show. So that's hilarious. So later he goes. You know, he goes. That was a horrible thing to happen. You know, lose all those assets. But you know. I guess she was a teacher, you know, I forget her name. And, he goes, and the kids were in, in the classroom and they're all watching. Anyone want some cookie? This cake, this cake. Oh, right after that. I mean, you know, but he was, he was fearless, fearless. His brother, Bill wrote that book, brother Sam. Yeah. And he talked about how Sam got hit by a car when he was a little kid. Mm. He was a normal kid and he gets this horrible head injury. And then all of a sudden was fearless. Like that happened to Roseanne, and that happened to him. Wow. Same exact story. Hit by a car. I didn't know. That. One personality yeah. changes a hundred percent, becomes a totally different personality, and becomes this wild, reckless person. Oh, happened man. to both of them. Yes, yeah, so there you go. <laughs> that that certainly would explain a lot. That certainly would explain why Sam was the way that he was. Dynamic personality shift. You know what happens. Also, 86 uh, was, uh, continuing with 86, it was a big year, as I say, for Sam. He was, uh, he started appearing on the Howard Stern Show, and his appearances were legendary. Like, there was one time where he had a feud with Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh There was a time when he and Howard were feuding, because back in the mid-80s, Howard basically, uh, um, uh, Howard started playing Bon Jovi. He discovered them basically and next thing you know they rocketed to fame slippery when wet came out it was a beautiful thing and john bon jovi he starts promoting his music to other radio stations and howard's like look man we we discovered you guys and now you guys are going on other radio shows when we discovered you you should be loyal to us man come on guys what are you guys doing and john's response was basically that his record company told him to do it so Howard would make fun of him for that. And how Sam Kennison got involved was 
Sam had come on the air one day and he said, hey, Howard, I want to bring you, me, and the guys from Bon, jo- from, from bon Jovi together. Get it all, you know, we'll get it all squared away. So they're like, all right, cool. So the day comes and goes and it doesn't happen. And Howard was really mad because he thought, because uh, he said, well, Sam Kinison used us because he didn't show up with the guys from Bon Jovi. And the way I've heard Sam tell is that I guess Sam, uh, I, I guess the guys in Bon Jovi had thought it was all just a joke. So that's why they didn't show up. <laughs> and there's this great, great conversation that Howard and Sam have with each other via the telephone. It's them saying man and dude to each other in like every other sentence. <laughs> there's a part, there's, a, there's, a, there's an excerpt where it's everyone in the studio and Gilbert Gottfried's there. And they replayed the phone call and they had this bell every time somebody said man or do to each other. And they're just digging the bell like crazy. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. And, uh, but yeah, 86 I say was a big year for Kennison. He was in back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. And here's an excerpt from that movie. This, this is, this is the infamous history class scene. And this, this is, this is great. Here we go. Welcome. Shoot. Hold on. I didn't think plugged in. My bad. All right. Take two. History scene from, let's see, uh, history scene from Back to School, Sam Kinison, take two, uh, replay, and take two. Welcome to Contemporary American History. I'm Professor Turgeson. You know, a lot of people think history is just facts. It's just information about the past, but not me. I mean, I hold history very sacred. Sacred. The way the farmer looks at the earth and he holds it sacred. The way... A Christian takes the Bible and he holds it sacred, the way a lot of people hold their marriage sacred. So I feel about it. So why don't we dive right in by interpreting one of the easiest events in the last 20 years of American history. Now, can someone tell me why in 1975 we pulled our troops out of Vietnam? The failure of Vietnamization to win popular support caused an ongoing erosion of confidence in the various American but illegal Saigon regimes. Is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there. I know a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't here in the classroom, hoping I was right, thinking about it. I was up to my knees in rice paddies with guns and work going up against Charlie, slugging it out with him while pussies like you were back there partying, putting headbands on, doing drugs, listening to the goddamn Beatle albums. Oh, oh! Hey, hey, Professor, take it easy, will you? I mean, these kids, they were in grade school at the time. And me, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Well, well, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. But since you want to help, maybe you can help me, okay? You remember that thing we had about 30 years ago called that Korean conflict? Yeah, where we failed to achieve victory. How come we didn't cross the 38th parallel and push those rice eaters back to the Great Wall of China and take the first brick, brick and nuke them back into the fucking Stone Age River? How come? Tell me why? Say it! Say it! All right, I'll say it. Because Truman was too much of a pussy wimp to let MacArthur go in there and blow out those cummy bastards. Good answer. Good answer. I like the way you think. I'm going to be watching you. 
good teacher. <laughs> he really seems to care <laughs> about what I have no idea. <laughs> oh, gosh. I got to watch that whole movie someday. I've, I've heard it's really, really good. Yeah, you know, hey, it's got Rodney in it. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's see what I got. Oh, let's see. Oh, oh, I got this lined up for the end of the show, but I want to just briefly, just, well, I only got like uh, seven minutes, like, I don't know. Yeah, seven minutes left, basically, and then I got to hit the thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, as, as the uh, years went by, Sam uh, made more uh, made more stuff. He had HBO specials. Uh, he was unmarried with children a couple of times. He was uh, on Saturday Night Live. He was... Uh, uh, he, he he did a lot, man. Like, his, his 1988 album, Have You Seen Me Lately, is really good. Then he had an album in it was either 89 or 90 called Leader of the Band, and that album's pretty unique because there's one track that has, like, all this, all, like, his set on, on one on one big track. So it's, it's like, 33 minutes, and it's, like, he, he talks about the issues of the day back then, like, the Pet Shop, uh, the pet shop Boys. He talks about... Uh, homosexuality it's 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 great it's great <laughs> and uh and there's 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 a great moment on that album where he's uh talking to the audience and he says hey i want to bring out uh a guy who we love doug Beatty. he's benefited greatly from the jerry lewis telethon the telethon's happening this weekend doug you got anything you want to say to the audience and doug goes fuck jerry lewis and sam's like what what, why are you saying that, man? And Doug's like, you need to do shit for me, man. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then Sam just starts screaming, get him off my stage! <laughs> oh, jeez. And then uh, uh, the album also has uh, four musical cuts, because Sam was also, uh, also, also a singer, too. He uh, sang a little bit here and there, like he does, uh, let's see, on this album, he does a cover, he does covers of Highway to Hell, uh under my thumb mississippi queen and uh gonna raise hell so th those are the uh tracks that he does and i actually found a special version of the album that has his version of are you lonesome tonight which starts out starts out like a straightforward rendition it's very nice very beautiful but when it gets to the uh the spoken breakdown part rather than the typical stuff Sam just does it in his own Sam Kinison kind of a way. <laughs> and uh, the thing that everybody points to, it's, it's very ironic that he was trying to get himself clean, but yet he died as a result of a drunk driver. And uh, it was, and, and, and this is, is going to lead to this. So uh, uh, as I said earlier, the Howard Stern show, they, they were, they were very dear friends of Sam Kinison had Sam on a lot. He was in a couple of bits. Uh, he was, it was uh, he, 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 a lot more of a, more of an on-air presence than he was like like recording bits for them and stuff like that but he uh, uh but uh, on, on the hard start show that uh, monday excuse me uh they actually uh uh excuse me many years ago sirius x sirius they, they did a thing the history of howard stern it's a radio documentary and there was one instance where howard was reflecting on sam kennison and he said that he could not remember where he was when he first heard about Sam Kinison dying. Well, I found a clip on YouTube of the Monday after the uh, Monday after the passing, and there's the full. They, there's someone actually managed to upload the full episode 
And and in the in that episode, they they talked to Corey Feldman about his parting days with Sam, and Corey was reflecting on what a guy Sam was, all that stuff, and uh, everyone's telling their story. Well, well, not everybody, but uh, Howard was telling his story. He said that Dominic Barber called him, and he said that really annoyed him, not because Sam had died, but because Dominic was the first guy to tell him. <laughs> so that, that kind of bummed him out. I, I I don't know why, but that's just uh, just uh, what happened. But uh, but yeah, it, it's just it's so wild that he died, that Sam died the way that he did, because he has a thing on his album, Have You Seen Me Lately, where he says... You know, they're all against drunk driving, but how else are you supposed to get the fucking car home? <laughs> well, that is a good point, but it is very dangerous thinking when you think about it. Uh, but an uh, uh, interesting quote I read from Sam is where he says that real comedy doesn't make people just laugh and think. It makes them laugh and change. And it's uh, something to really think about. And uh, Jason Alexander, in the show uh, Duckman, there was an episode where there was this family-friendly comedian who was just all just all the rage, and Duckman was trying to figure out why he's so damn popular. And uh, at the end of the episode, he makes this speech, and he says, one of the things he says in his speech is, comedy should leave you different from where it found you. And I'd, 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 I'll, 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 I'll track down that uh, thing, because I, I, I don't have time to get it now. Or, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I, I might, might be able to, not making any promises, but let me see if I can do this real quick. I, I know it's, it, it's season one, episode 13, I know that, so let's see. I have, I found an archive, I, I don't know why, but a while back I decided to, uh, I was in this phase where for some reason I felt the need to take the soundtrack from movies and TV shows and like put them as individual files on my phone and have them as like uh, stuff I can listen to because because the because uh, because fill, filling up all that space with all the video and stuff it's gonna slow things down. All right, where the heck is it? Wait. Do I actually? No, no, no. Actually, you know, I'll, I'll I'll have to save that that thing for another time. But uh, well, wait, no, wait, hold on. I might be able to get it. Stand by. Don't bail out me just yet, folks. Let's see if I can find it here. Where is it? Uh, where is it? This. Okay. Doot doot doot. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Is that it? There we go. Where's the thing that? Okay. Okay. There we go here. Let's see here. Where the heck is it? Of course, I'm pretty sure by the time I find it, the show will be over. Let's see if I can get in here. Where is it? No. No, not it. Oh, here we go. I got him. Okay. All right. I, I'm not sure if this is exactly where it picks up, but here we go. This is, I, 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 I found it. Here we go. This should be it. Here we go. 
by him, King Chicken. Hey, here we go. <gasps> he did it the same way they manipulate us into buying toothpaste, car wax, even politicians. All prepackaged, the least offensive, most appealing alternative. But it's precisely when humor is offensive that we need it most. Comedy should provoke. It should blast through prejudices, challenge preconceptions. Comedy should always leave you different than when it found you. The rebel seems roused. Sure, humor can hurt, even alienate. But the risk is better than the alternative. A steady diet of innocuous, childproof, flavorless mush. Demand to be challenged, to be offended, to be treated like thinking, reasoning adults. And raise your children to be the same. Don't let a comedian, a network, a congressional committee, or an evil genius take away your freedom to laugh at whatever you want. Damn right. <laughs> and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be the end of the program. I'm Lawrence Ross. Remember, folks, see with your heart and do good. And now I'm going to leave you with a very beautiful tribute song that Fred Norris did for Sam Kinison. It's called Sounds of Kinison. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'm Lawrence Ross. See with your heart and do good. And I will see you next Friday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Be good to each other. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Kinison, my old friend. It's sad that car crash was your end. You were so funny and a real great guy. You used to make me laugh so hard I cry. You drink and do drugs that could choke a horse without remorse. Now I miss the sounds of Kinnison. Oh, comic outlaws are all lost. Because you always were the boss In comedy you really were the king You could break balls about most anything Well life was tough <laughs> Well at least I was able to live it out And I was able to face death and not be afraid And well now I'm ready to go to heaven and be with Jesus and, hey. Hey, 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 hey Now we miss the sounds Of Kinnison Oh Jesus you know Cares your used profanity You goofed on the world's insanity <laughs> You know you really led a real wild life You were a wise ass but a real wild guy We like to wear rubbers guys! The sounds of Kinnison. I didn't come to be Jesus, the miracle caterer. You were a bright and shining star. You love to play your rock guitar. You were so funny every time you snapped. Compared to you, the others all were crap. Oh, because of you, I'll never, I'll never choke again. We'll see you later, Jesus. <laughs> and now we'll miss the sounds of Kinnison. The way you died was such a shame. The world without you's not the same. 
way you scream Those jokes could raise the dead Your fame and fortune never went to your head Still here You're gone We'll surely miss you and your beret What can we say? It's goodbye to the sounds of Kinnison You've been listening to the Lawrence Ross Show. Email the show, blindlawrence at gmail.com. There's a letter in your mailbox. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all ending in forward slash blindlawrence. Be careful of the fucking wall! Check out his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Lawrence Ross. Become a fan of the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash lross1987. I'll send your shiny happy-ass friend request. Rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow the show on Spotify. I search Lawrence Ross. Get out and take your sack of your dollars with you. This week's edition of the Lawrence Ross Show Yikes! has just hit the brakes. Keep your ugly fucking gold brick and ass out of my beach community. You lose! Good day, sir! I was making radio shows for fun. Everybody does it. Everybody I know does. Shut up! And baba booey to y'all. <laughs>